0: Welcome to Lessons for Leaders. This week, I'm talking to you about the true cost of a wellbeing plan. Is wellbeing essential yet, or is it still a nice to do? I'm talking about the reasons why putting wellbeing at the heart of your business has a massive impact on the business success and on the bottom line. I'll share with you how you can build a business case to persuade your business leaders if they're not quite on board yet. I'm sharing stats and info that will support that business case, so grab a pen and take some notes because they enable you to measure outcomes, create the stats, and track the return on investment. So it's packed full of compelling reasons that help you assess the true cost of your well-being plan, and which are the most vulnerable demographics so that you can watch out for them. Enjoy this episode. So welcome to Lessons for Leaders. Each week, I bring you lessons, learnings, tips, and advice to enable you to lead with ease in business without the stressed out and overwhelm. so that I help you increase your performance, be resilient, and thrive in life. I'm Emma Langton, your host, leadership coach, and workplace trainer, helping you and your workforce increase that performance, improve wellbeing, and make the impact that you want in the world. Now, if you would like to know more about the different ways that you can work with me, but either with the making the wellbeing plans work for your organization, just having a uh, drop in with me to get some tips and advice in the way forward, or perhaps dealing with particularly tricky people, or um, helping you with some of the wellbeing packages that I have, and wellbeing training sessions that I have, Or even if it's about one-to-one coaching, group coaching for your managers and coaching for your senior leaders, then please do get in touch with me. I'm always happy to have conversations. You can reach me at emma at emmalangton.com or just hop over to my website and find the booking link there that's either on the contact page or in the show notes and you can make a booking direct into my diary so we can have that conversation with you. If you're not ready to do that yet, then you can get onto my newsletter. Again, link in the show notes and information on my website at emmalankton.com. The newsletter sends out tips, information, statistics, the latest reports, and the current organisational trends that are happening right now so that you don't have to dig around for it. It comes out monthly, so you can guarantee that I won't be spamming you, and then you can keep up to date with everything that's going on. And finally, a request from me that if you haven't hit the subscribe button or left a review for me, then please do go and find the little button and leave a review. Let me know your key thoughts and your takeaways and what you value most from the podcast. If you hit subscribe, it makes sure that you never miss another episode. So today we're looking at the true cost of a wellbeing plan. We're going to take a look at cost associated in the organisation and costs associated with not having a wellbeing plan. So in essence, we're looking at the price that you pay if you choose not to invest in both building the strategy of one and perhaps investing in some expert advice. That doesn't mean it's always expert advice, but some of it. So whether you're building a business case or trying to persuade board members, business leaders and your C-suite, this episode is for you. And grab a pen because there's lots of stats and information here that will make some compelling information for you to present your case. Because it might sound a little bit boring that I'm just doing stats and info, but I have these conversations all the time with HR and wellbeing leads. Here's a recent example. Somebody jumped on the phone with me for one of my um, brainstorm sessions and she said, my director wants to track resilience so that we can see where the improvements are with whatever it is that we implement. Um, But I'm implementing things without any budget. So I said because I'm good, actually, at looking at the strategic way that we can persuade and influence people. So I said to him, what's his background? What's his career path? Where is the focus? So that we can see what it is that he's looking at and what the real issue is. So as an example, it turned out that he's come through um, finance. Um, So his focus is on numbers it's on tracking numbers. And yes, as a business, we do need to track numbers and your, your leadership team should be looking at that. And obviously we'll be asking you as HR leaders to look at that as well. But he's going to be directly focused on numbers. He wants to be able to create graphs out of these numbers. He wants to be able to attach monetary values to these numbers because he's got a finance background. So his real issue is where do we get that direct return on the investment? And when you know what their issue is and where their focus is based on their background and their trajectory through organizations and career promotions, you then can step into their shoes. You know what they are talking about, what their focus is, and then you can provide that compelling evidence that persuades If you talk about things that don't interest them, that are not high on the agenda, then your words are going to fall on deaf ears. So taking a look at what they think that their problem is, have they got a high turnover of staff? So are you talking to that? You know, have they got people that are not doing the work? So that you're talking about performance measurements. Look at what it is that is their problem, which might be very different to yours, and it might be very different to the issues that you are dealing with. But when you stand in their shoes and you're able to look at it from their perspective, you're going to be able to write a business case that they're going to be interested in, that they're going to take notice of. So it might be that changing or improving the culture and the company values can make this more attractive to that leadership team. Or is that what your leadership team want to hear? You know, delight. Um, in a report in 2020 said that 62% of managers feel obliged to put work needs ahead of staff well-being and that's because they're focusing on performance and productivity on outcomes rather than how do my staff feel how well are they are they turning up for work etc now, as a HR and a wellbeing lead, you'll be looking at things like absenteeism, presenteeism, you know, sickness data, attrition, etc. but your leadership team may not be. Do your organization want to make themselves attractive to new recruits or to clients? So are they looking at whether they can improve company brand, turnover, recruitment? These areas are great pre tools. so if they if you've got a leadership team that you know wants to create an organization that looks good that, it, that makes it attractive for things like badges and awards, I'm not being um, derogatory here, but it's about knowing that level of focus. you know do, do they want to be in like the times top 100 list or do they want to get an investor in people award? because if they do then that's what you can talk about. Do you need to look at direct and indirect business costs? So that again is where somebody with a finance background perhaps or somebody that's worried about you know, high levels of turnover and lack of funds, maybe they want to look at that. So do you need to take on board the amount that you're spending on healthcare, EAP, or occupational health and that type of thing so that you can talk about offsetting some of that budget into your wellbeing plan and doing preventative work? Are you having to arrange supply staff in your organisation or is it costing you to arrange cover for absences and people off work? Are you paying a manager to do a colleague level job? I was in one organisation and the manager was in sorting out the warehouse. Now that's one expensive warehouse operative. Are you looking at absence management? Obviously, as HR, many of them are tracking absences and managing absences and return to work interviews. But that's costing time when you could be spending it elsewhere. Can you cost that in? Can you explain that? Can you track even just the time that you're spending doing that? When we look at sickness absence costs, there are various statistics out there. But the CBI talk about it being £95 a day. And CIPD talk about six point three days per year per employee, with an average cost of five hundred and twenty-two pounds. Where can that go? Are you looking at staff turnover or retention? Numbers vary on this as well, but the average cost to replace a lever can be up to thirty thousand pounds by the time that you've costed in the gap. In the employment, and so again, supply staff cover the you know the impact, the uh, cost of advertising, maybe a recruitment company, the time taken to go through applications, to do uh, paper sifts, to um, send out inviting people for interview, the days that you're going to take for interviews, etc., etc., etc. You can then see where the costs begin to add up. The cost to UK businesses every year, again, according to that Deloitte report done in 2020, so it's as near as we can get to up-to-date information, is they are talking about £8.6 billion, pounds, so it's UK numbers, for staff turnover costs. They're talking about £6.8 billion in absence costs and a whopping £29.3 billion on presenteeism costs. So helping employees to help themselves to stay well will reduce all of those costs. And it's known that presenteeism is on the increase and that whopping $29.3 billion is massive. Do you need to talk about employee engagement? We know this one about improving performance employee satisfaction, increasing happiness, but it's harder to measure, it's very subjective. Yet, if you look at things like um, doing a stress survey or if you are looking at uh, the resilience measures, then it's easier to be able to gather some numbers if you do it on a regular basis, say uh, quarterly or something like that throughout the year. These things are easier to see on the ground with attitude to work and the conversations that you have, but there are ways to be able to track these things. So talk to me if you want some more information on that. You know, 25% of employees fear the consequence of opening up and talking about their mental health and well-being issues. I've seen this with clients when I've worked with them one-to-one, I've seen it firsthand. And I talked about it. On a podcast a couple of episodes ago, when we were interviewing with Hannah Becker, where I talked about there was a CEO that I worked with, and I asked him if he'd um, raised it with his um, chairman about the anxiety that he had, and he said, Absolutely not. I don't want to be seen as weak. People need a confidential place and trusted support to be able to talk about these things. And this is sometimes why I'm brought into organizations to be able to run focus groups, do one-to-one coaching sessions, to be able to do group coaching sessions, not just for the leadership aspect, but in order to help people to feel less stressed so that then they can be more focused and improve time management and all of those sorts of things. Did you know that the most vulnerable demographic are the ages between 18 and 29? They have a higher prevalence of mental health issues and this group is also less likely to disclose their issues and instead use holidays. Or, in the case of a previous client of mine as well, Mikey, he reported in sick with a stomach bug rather than saying he had anxiety. But the thing is, That if you make your workplace open to having these discussions and being able to report mental health issues and anxiety and stress and things like that, the thing is that for Mikey, he'd have been back quicker if he had a one day off with anxiety, you know, all that morning off to take some time than he would have been with the 48 hours that he took off with the bug. And also it raised his anxiety that he wasn't able to be true and then worried about, well, what if I get found out, et cetera, etc. Cetera. So ignoring well-being can cost you in other ways, like that. But also, in tribunal type cases, you know, bullying and harassment cases and constructive and unfair dismissal costs businesses up to 80,000 pounds per case. So if people feel that they are not being looked after, that they are being harassed to get back to work, that they are being, you know, brought back to work when they're not ready, you know, or being harassed when they are off with stress and ill health and other mental health issues, let's not forget that the stress assessment is part of your health safety executive requirements. There's information on the HSE website about this. So workplaces need to remember to look at health and safety and provide support and that reasonable adjustment for well-being. Failure to do this means that you could end up in court. And I know this is kind of not nice and seems a bit threatening, but sometimes that's the only way that you can get leaders to listen. So keep it in your back pocket in case it is needed. It's all about thinking about the strategy of how you can best present the information that is the most compelling in your business cases. You know, in the event of a proven discrimination case, where there is no limit to the amount of compensation that can be awarded. You know, so that is incredibly costly. And it'd be so much cheaper to just get me in to do some work with them, individuals or groups, or somebody else, obviously. Um, but, you know, business leaders um, need to try and head off some of the negative behaviours and prevent claims. And organisations such as ACAS recommend strategies that focus proactively on ensuring worker well-being and fostering good workplace relations. So whether you want a whole wellbeing strategy or whether you just want a short um, workplace intervention or a series of wellbeing training just in the lunch and learn um, hourly type sessions or half day support and training, whether you want coaching individually or in a group sessions for your staff. Or you want to brainstorm your ideas and talk through what it is that you're already doing these are often great for standalone hr people by the way so you can bounce ideas around then get in touch with me get a pen and paper write down all of these stats give me a call and talk through these things with you and if you're struggling for creative ways that you can provide some compelling information or even implement some great wellbeing plans that suit your individual organisation, get in touch with me. Any questions, as ever, give me a call. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, share with people that you think that this will be helpful to. And then other than that, have a really great week. I'll see you again on the next episode. Bye for now. now.